All right, so if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's where we're going to be at today. We're talking about a shattered nation. Uh, we're in a series here at Village Bible Church talking about uh, brokenness and uh, being shattered, being shattered to uh, pieces. The reality is that bad things happen to people, to all people. And be very wary of any Christian who comes up to you and says that if, if you're a believer, bad things won't come your way. If you do the right things, if you say the right prayers, if you give enough gifts, God will pour blessing and uh, prosperity upon you, and you will not experience the pain of this life. How many people here this morning, let's see a raise of hands, how many people here have experienced brokenness in your life? Virtually everybody. I remember when I first experienced at a real a deep level uh, around the year 2000, when my uh, sister went into the hospital, she was diagnosed of having a, a, a rare blood disorder. It was about a month or two after that that she went into a coma and had to go to emergency brain surgery to save her life. And it was discovered then that she had inoperable brain cancer. And I remember talking with my dad, who is a pastor. I remember uh, feeling the sense of, where is God? I mean, our family, we've lived for the Lord. We've, we've tried to do what's right. We've, we've tried to do the right things. And now this is happening? And this is happening to my sister, who was adopted when she was a little girl from Hong Kong, never knew her biological parents, who came to this country, and now she's going through inoperable brain cancer. God, where are you? And a real shattered brokenness entered into our family and into, into our home. I remember thinking those types of thoughts, and it revealed that I really didn't understand uh, how God works, or who God really is. See, I had a sense of uh, this moralistic uh, deism type of thought that uh, uh, today Reformation, Reformed preachers talk of, that this idea that God's out there somewhere, He's not really involved in our life if we do the right things. So if we do the right things, um, He'll provide for us, He'll take care of us, we'll be okay. And really, in some odd way, I had put God in my debt, thinking that God owed me something. He owed our family something. The only problem is God is in no one's debt. We are ever in debt to him. And so just as a word of testimony, my sister um, is alive and doing well today, this long after, praise the Lord, where 98% of the people that are diagnosed with what she had are gone in two years, and she's um, uh, 15 years and running. Praise the Lord. He's good. But would I be able to say that if she was gone in two years? This is First Samuel. We get to places that are uncomfortable. We sit in places that hurt and that are hard. You remember back in the beginning of the series, we talked about shattered expectations. It was Hannah who wanted to have kids but couldn't. And her life was turned upside down, and she was blessed with a child, Samuel, but still things didn't turn out exactly the way that she had hoped for. Shattered parenting. Tim talked about Eli. Remember Eli and his, his sons and how they rebelled against him? Last week was shattered religion, learning from the nation of Israel. Today is a shattered nation. First Samuel uh, chapter 8, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, what a great time to be alive. 
as we think about our life, think about even our nation, talking about shattered nation. What a great time to be alive. I remember thinking when I read through scriptures, especially as a younger person, boy, it would have been great to be alive back here. It would have been great to have seen some of the miracles that are recorded here. It would have been great to uh, be around Jesus in his his life and his earthly ministry here. But boy, this is a great time to be alive. Let me give you some statistics. Compared with 50 years ago, the average human now earns nearly three times as much money, corrected for inflation, three times as much than 50 years ago. Eats one-third more calories, buries two-thirds fewer children, and can expect to live one-third longer than even just 50 years ago. Poverty is nosediving. You always hear that the rich get richer, but the poor are doing really good, actually. Between 1980 and 2000, the poor doubled their consumption. The Chinese are 10 times richer and live about 25 years longer than they did 50 years ago. Nigerians are twice as rich and live nine years more. The percentage of the world's people living in absolute poverty has dropped by over half. The United Nations estimates that poverty will, was reduced more in the past 50 years than in the previous 500. We live in days of prosperity. One reason that we are richer and healthier and taller and cleverer and longer lived than ever before is that the four most basic human needs, food, clothing, fuel, and shelter, have grown markedly cheaper. Take this for example. This is amazing. In 1800, a candle providing one hour's light cost six hours work. In the 1880s, the same light from a kerosene lamp took 15 minutes work to power. In 1950, it was eight seconds. Today, it's half a second. In these terms, we are 43,000 times better off than in 1800. The environment's doing well. Despite what you hear in the United States, rivers, lakes, seas, and airs are getting cleaner all the time. A car today emits less pollution at full speed than a parked car did in 1970. It's a great time to be alive. But, but we live in a shattered nation. With the passage of each decade, America sinks deeper and deeper into sin and further away from God. In America today, there are 60 million people that abuse alcohol. There are 22 million people that use illegal drugs. More than 10%, almost 12% of all Americans admit that they have driven home under the influence of alcohol or drugs at least once in the past year. According to a study conducted by Mayo Clinic, nearly 70% of all Americans are on at least one prescription drug, and 20% of Americans are on five, at least five prescription drugs. Many of them are for anxiety, depression, 20% of all U.S. adults have no religious affiliation whatsoever. In 1972, only 7% of all U.S. adults had no religious affiliation. Planned Parenthood performs more than 300,000 abortions every single year. One very shocking study says that 86% of those abortions were committed for the sake of convenience. 
So now we go to the nation of Israel. And we can learn from them. Keep your finger in 1 Samuel 8, but go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here we see what these stories that we're looking at, true stories, what these stories that we're looking at in 1 Samuel, why they're there. Why are they in the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So when we read these stories of ancient Israel, they're there in the Scriptures for our instruction. They're examples to us. And many times they're negative examples. First Samuel seems like kind of a negative book, doesn't it? A lot of bad things happening. And now we're ready for First Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8. Here's the, so- here's the story. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first son was Joel, the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Who who was the other uh, guy that had sons that were doing that? Eli. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. That's a double slap in the face. You're old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, And the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain from your vineyards and give it to his officers And to his servants, he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. 
And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. The people are demanding a king. They're demanding to leave the theocracy that they're part of, where God is their king, a theocracy, and they're going to move to another form of government where there are kings and queens. It's, it's called a, uh, what's it called? It starts with an M, ends in anarchy. Monarchy, that's what it is. Yeah, so they're going to leave a theocracy and go to a monarchy with the king in command, and there's consequences to that. So how do the people respond? Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Israel is moving to a time of brokenness. It's going to lead to the appointment of the first king, King Saul. King Saul is a cowardly, he's a weak-willed man who uh, gets the people in trouble. He, he, uh, he, he's a bad guy. Going to go to King David, who's a man after God's own heart, but he's got his own issues. He's a man of war and of blood, and the nation of Israel is in constant battle with King David. Then you go to King Solomon, who was very wise, but by the end of his reign, because of all of his wives and all the influences around him, that there's uh, idol worship all around Israel. The Baals and the Asterisks are being worshipped all in the high places around the nation of Israel. And it just goes downhill after that. And so let's start here this morning. Shattered nations are created by, number one, people who forget how God has led them in the past. People who forget how God has led them in the past. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, When Samuel became old, there's many years that have passed between chapter 7 and chapter 8. In chapter 7, verse 12, they had a renewal of sorts. Chapter 7, verse 12, Samuel takes a stone, he sets it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. There seems to be a revival going on. So earlier in that time, there was sin in the nation of Israel. Chapter 7, verse 3, and Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, if you're returning, the people are going to return to the Lord in chapter 7. We must never forget God's patience. The nation of Israel forgot the patience of God. God was patient with them. He said, if you are returning to the Lord, then put away your foreign gods and the asterisk among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. If you're going to return to the Lord, God was so patient with his people, they had fallen into idol worship again. Baal, the ancient Near East God, the the chief male deity God. And the Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the chief female deity, the goddess of fertility. And they set these idols up in the high places, in the mountains. This is where the idol worship would happen. And for Ashtoreth, they would erect these poles. 
And the people would come to worship this goddess of fertility and they would engage in, in, in sexual activity with, with prostitutes of Ashtoreth around these poles. This was idolatry, sin at the very core. God says if you're going to return, God is there patiently calling his, his people back to himself. By the way, you can find many places um, around Chicagoland area that you can go and you can see uh, women dancing around poles. The, the whole thing's tied together. It's sin. It's idolatry. Sex is the God. So God's patience, these people have forgotten that just some years ago, God invited them to return back, and they did. They put away their bales and their asterisks, and they came back to God. Shattered nations are made up of people who have forgotten God's partnership. God's partnership. That's the second thing here that we see in chapter 7. Look at verse 12. Samuel sets up the stone Ebenezer and he says, Till now the Lord has helped us. God is the helper. So God is the partner of Israel. He helps the nation of Israel. There's a partnership, a union that happens. We, the church, are God's people today. And there's a partnership that we have with God Almighty that he would be there for us, that he would help us, that he would come and protect us. That's the third thing. The nation of Israel had forgotten God's protection. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. God invited them back. He was patient with them. They came back. He partners with them. And then he's protecting them. He's giving them victory over the Philistines and over the other nations that would seek to wipe out the nation of Israel. God had provided greatly For the nation of Israel, that's number four, God's provision. The people had forgotten God's provision. Verse 14, the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So man, you see what God has done? God has done so much for Israel. But then some years later, they go to Samuel. We want a king. Forget God. Remember, because God says that to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Forget God. We want a man who's going to lead us and going to fight our battles. Don't you remember Israel? God did it. God partnered with you. He protected you. He provided for you. God has done so much good for us, hasn't he? In our country, we enjoy a quality of life unmatched by most people who have ever lived on this planet. And yet, we seem to have forgotten God. Oliver Wolcott, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, he's a military general, governor of Connecticut. He wrote this, Through the various scenes of life, God has sustained me. May he ever be my unfailing friend. May his love cherish my soul. May my heart with gratitude acknowledge his goodness. And may my desires be to him and to the remembrance of his name. May we then turn our eyes to the bright objects above. And may God give us strength to travel the upward road. 
Wow, he's preaching it. A leader in our nation. Shattered nations are created by people who forget what God has done, how God has led us in the past. So not only gets personal, have you forgotten what God has done for you? Have you forgotten that God has saved you? That he loves you, that he loved you just the way that you were, our, were as a sinner? That God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for you to get good, to get clean, to shape up. No, when you were lost in your sin, when you were at the worst possible place, he loved you so much that he died for you so that you could turn to him in repentance and faith and be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't forget it. Don't forget what he's done for you. Secondly, shattered nations are sustained by people who reject God's plan for the present. So they're created by people who forget what God has done, but they're sustained by people who reject God's plan for the here and the now. So Israel seems to have pretty logical reason here for wanting a king. Chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. You're old, Samuel. Not going to be around much longer. Your sons are rotten. Uh, give us a king. Not bad reasoning, right? We can understand that request. But in that request, there's, there's a rejection of God within that. And so Samuel warns them about what will, it will be like to have a king. That's verses 10 through 18. They're gonna, uh, the king's going to tax you. He's going to have to live his opulent lifestyle. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and put them to work. It's going to be a hard life under a king. And still yet they don't listen to Samuel. Verse 19 and 20. They refuse to obey the voice of Samuel, it says, actually in the text. Why? Because we want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. We want to be like the, the other nations. We want to be like them. So we reject God's plan, just like the nation of Israel. We reject God's plan when we pervert justice instead of pursuing God. And this goes on in our, in our country, in our nation. And I want to be careful. This isn't a message of just restore America to her former glory. But this is a truth that we must embrace, is that we are far from God. And when we reject God, when we reject His plans for us, we tend to pervert justice instead of per pursuing God. And so I want to say here this morning, I'm going to mention abortion again. There is forgiveness for every sin. The Lord Jesus died on the cross for all sins. And so if you have had an abortion, there's forgiveness in the cross of Christ, and there's restoration. But we must talk about the injustice that is happening to the weakest among us. That we would see, even today, videos of, of 
baby parts harvested and sold, and yet nobody really seems to care about it. Big deal. I mean, even if you were to to take the the beginning signs of life that we would say for a, a, a person outside of the womb, if you don't even want to believe that life begins at conception, let's just take the measurements that we use in hospitals today. Let's take brain activity, which in a baby in the womb starts at about eight weeks. Let's take a heartbeat, which starts at about ten weeks. I remember hearing my kids' heartbeat for the first time. But somehow, it's easier when it's a medical thing. We pervert justice instead of pursuing God. We also are conformed to the world and not transformed by the word. This is for all of us. This is for us in the church. Christian, this is for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But instead, we let all the stuff around us mold us into the world's image. We're so influenced by outside sources that we forget what it means to live for God and to pursue him in his word and to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself to be humble and to serve and to give of ourselves and to do what's right and to hold on to what's good and to maintain justice and to speak for the ones that can't speak it's a recipe for a nation to stay shattered People who reject God's plan. Number three, we discourage the godly and we encourage the godless. Isn't this true? Watch MTV for a while. I dare you. Don't really do it, but if you want to, watch MTV for a little bit. Watch any TV for a little bit and you'll see this played out. We discourage the godly. We encourage the godless. The godless is what's good. The godly stuff, that's laughable. Marriage isn't about God's way. It's my way. It's what I believe. It's what I want. Purity is laughed at while promiscuity is applauded. The ways of the world are pictured as freeing while the things of God are seen as constraining. The ways of the world experience the world, even among some Christians. If you got a, a real worldly testimony, you came from drugs and promiscuity, and you came from all the deep, miry slime of sin. Wow, you got an awesome testimony. Romans chapter 16, verse 19, Paul says, I pray that you would be innocent to sin. Innocent to sin. Innocence is laughed at. It, it's experience this. Experience all you can while you can. Taste and see what the world can give. Hell is a party. Heaven is boring. Hell's where my friends are going to be. I don't want to go to heaven and sit in a 24-hour church service. A misunderstanding of the glories that God has prepared for those who love him. God is ridiculed while the government is seen as the real savior. God's a joke. The government's real. That will provide for me. And finally, shattered nations are characterized by people who get what they ask for 
in the future. This is the interesting part of, 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 this, of our story today. Remember, it's, it's for our example. Christian, it's for you, it's for me, it's for our church, it's for our nation. Uh, the interesting thing is that God says to Samuel, verse 9, Now then, obey their voice. Obey their voice. Then God says in verse 18, The Lord, in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom the Lord, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. You have chosen. So God says give it to them. They've chosen. In verse 22, obey their voice and make them a king. So God gives the people what they ask for, even though they're asking for the wrong thing. And they're asking with the wrong heart. And they're asking with the wrong understanding. And they're asking with a short memory. And they're asking God to get out of the way and give us our man. Here's three principles. Just like the nation of Israel, God has warned us, but we still wander away. God has warned us, but we still wander away. I know many times in my life, there are times that I see things and I... I I see what people are going through and I see that uh, the choices that people make and the sin that leads to certain consequences and I, I think to myself, I gotta make note of that. I wanna stay clear of that sin. I wanna uh, God's warning me here, but then I find myself in that very moment forgetting that warning and still wandering away. God help us that when He warns we would listen. God help us as a church when he calls us, we would answer. God help us as a nation that when he speaks, we would open our ears and listen. God's warned us, but we still wander away. Number two, God gives us at times what we want even when we're guilty. He does. Now that can lead to absolute loss as it does in Romans chapter 1, where Paul is writing about people who reject God and they worship creation rather than the Creator. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing their shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Some of the saddest words in Scripture, God gave them up. God, don't give me up. God's a God of patience. He calls you to come to him. But there is a day where God gives people up. My oldest son, I remember, wanted to touch the iron on my, I was ironing one of my dress shirts. We were at a hotel, I can't remember exactly where we were at, our family. He kept wanting to touch, and he's pulling the cord, and he's wanting to touch the iron. It's hot, it's going to burn himself, and I finally gave him up. Go ahead. And he burned himself. He repented. He repented. And he, he doesn't touch the iron anymore. This is the third thing. God uses the consequences of rebellion to redirect us back to him. Okay, here's the good news. God does give up. But sometimes when God gives them up, he restores them from their rebellion. When you would come back to him, Humbly come back to the Lord. God is good and gracious. And not only does he receive us back to him, God runs to us to lift us up. Remember the prodigal son coming home? He can't even bring himself to, to say the words that he's pro- he prepared to say, speak to the Father. And Jesus is telling the story, the Father is a picture of God, our Heavenly Father. And he sees the Son from a ways off, and he runs to him and embraces him and doesn't even let him speak the speech that he prepared. He, You're my son. Welcome home. Welcome back. The nation of Israel experiences the same thing. Here in 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 12. Okay, so it's just a a few short years after their demand for a king, after their rejection of God, after moving from a theocracy to a monarchy. In 1 Samuel, chapter 12, Samuel gives his farewell address, and he says, If I treated you wrong before the Lord, I stand. And they all say, No, you haven't treated us wrong. You were a great prophet of God. You've served us well. Verse 19, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. From chapter 9 and chapter 12, they come to the realization that what they asked for was sin and rebellion. And Samuel says, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside for empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So this is the takeaway for us. Individually, as a church, as a nation, fear the Lord and serve him faithfully 
with all your heart. Serve the Lord. Live for Him. Jesus died for you so you can live for Him. That you can be make, make much of Jesus' name in the way that you live, in the way that you love your neighbor, in the way that you stand for truth and you maintain justice. Live for the Lord. If not, if you do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king, a shattered nation. God, we pray right now, Lord, that you would, in this moment, do a work in our hearts. Now we come to you and we confess our sin unto you. We confess, Lord, just as the nation of Israel, we tend to forget what you've done and how good you are to us. Your patience. How you've protected us. How you provided for us, Lord, right now in the quietness of this moment. Each one in this place today, we thank you and we remember your goodness and faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death on the cross for our sin. Thank you for rising again, conquering sin and death and the devil and giving us victory. Thank you, Lord. May we never forget what you've done. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for what you've done in this church, over the decades, Lord, how you've led and how you have brought us to this moment today. May, Lord, may we step forward in, in, in strong faith to make a difference in Sugar Grove, in Aurora, in Shabana, and all around the world for the cause of Christ. Strengthen us to that end, we humbly ask, Lord. God, we want to confess our sin to you that we've made other things gods they're probably not bales or asterisks lord but there are things in our lives that would seek to to distract us from your plan and your purpose in our life and we confess that a sin to you this morning lord forgive us for our sin we confess it unto you we thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness thank you lord for your forgiveness and your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we we now pray for our nation. You tell us in your word, Lord, that we are to pray for those who rule among us. So, Lord, we pray for our president. Lord, we pray that you would give him wisdom, guidance, strength. Lord, for each member of his cabinet, Lord, we pray that you would have your hand upon their lives. Lord, we pray uh, for our state leaders, for our governor, Lord. We lift up humbly asking that you would help uh, even what we find ourselves in with debt and, and decay and death all around. Lord, we pray for Justice for uh, little ones that are killed. Forgive us as a nation for yawning and going back to our, our lives and forgetting 
sin that's so rampant all around us. Lord, I ask that there would be some here that you would raise up. You already are, Lord. Even we pray for the Pregnancy Information Center and Michelle Gherkin and their whole staff, Lord, as they seek to love on uh, these um, many times single uh, moms who soon-to-be moms who are wrestling with what to do. Lord, give them uh, powerful and rich ministry that they would speak the truth but in love and that they would be the hands and feet of Jesus to these ones who are hurting, hurting and broken and are shattered. That they would choose life. Lord, we don't know how many more days of prosperity are left that you've given us, but we pray that, God, that even if there was to be calamity, um, Lord, that you would use it to draw us back to yourself like Israel. That you would use our rebellion and bring us to repentance. So Lord, we give you thanks today for what you've done and what you will do. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.